we're, we're getting to the point in video gaming where uh, in, within our lifetime, it'll be indistinguishable from reality at some point. But one day I was like, you know, what do you guys think about astronomy? Because I was like thinking in the back, of my, I've been researching this for like a month of like, do I want to get into astrophotography? Like there's so many people out there that don't know that you can do this from your backyard and see things that are just truly mind-boggling, not only in scale, but in distance and beauty. That's because astrophotography at its core, if you're not like really into the numbers and how things work and, and the editing process, it's kind of, it's a very patient game because it takes hours, months, days to create one image. That is Tagback TV, a popular video game streamer on YouTube who has recently discovered the hobby of amateur astronomy. And he incorporates his astrophotography sessions in with his video game streaming sessions, introducing a whole new audience to our hobby. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. Sean, so good to have you here, man. It is, um, you know, it, it's fun to have guests on, but it's even better when I get to have, you know, close friends that I spend a lot of uh, a lot of the days playing games with and, and other things anyway, even from what got to be 2,500 miles away. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's great to be here. And thank you guys for having me as well. So I know uh, I know it always it always happens where we're in these conversations, but the introductions already introduced you. But I'll go ahead and say that you are a um, you're you're a big YouTube streamer, Tagback TV, uh, for anybody that that doesn't know. And you you stream mostly video games, but you also do astronomy stuff. But that's a more recent kind of development, right? Yeah. So um, about June of last year is when I started. So haven't quite been a year yet. A couple more months before uh, we hit that one year mark. Um, but it was really interesting just trying to integrate the gaming and astrophotography into like this hybrid stream that I can share with my community. Yeah. Was that not scary? I mean, especially when you have those kind of numbers, I mean, you have videos with what 4 million views and, and things like that. I'm thinking if that's your, if that's your livelihood, this is your, your job. Are you not worried about pivoting at all? I feel like it'd have to be kind of scary to put anything other than what you know works out there for people. Oh Yeah. Anytime, anytime you kind of do a pivot on YouTube, it's, uh, it's, it's quite terrifying. Um, just in, in general, especially with any type of content, which is why I really wanted to create like a, a hybridization of what I already did. And uh, I integrated it into what I already knew worked really well for me. And, um, it was just kind of seeing if people would like this additional extra really super nerdy i actually named the streams like my ultimate nerd live streams because we're playing video games which is already pretty nerdy and then we're adding this on top of it so i think it really appeals to that crowd as well in in a way that um i was actually surprised with how well it did <laughs> uh, yeah i gotta say i in getting ready for this podcast i went on your channel started watching some of your streams and and the the gaming streams were were you know excellent really good and then there were these ones that i noticed like you said these nerd sort of hybrid streams where you gamed for a while 
and then you process images for a while, and then you game for a while, and then you process it. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is a real gear shift for me. You know, when <laughs> I have from my mind, I'm sitting here watching you play video games, and now I'm watching yeah. you process images. Uh, so you find that your audience is is going with that gear change. They're they're cool with that. They, yeah, they, they like it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite surprising. Well, a lot of the games that I play. Uh, they have like either something that's integral to like uh, like uh, photography, like Red Dead Redemption Two. There's a whole community around that game that just do like nature photography and even landscape photography with like, because uh, uh, the details in the night sky are are actually really detailed. Uh, so I have like a lot of community from that, and then um, uh, Animal Crossing has like a lot of uh, lunar and ast- astronomy stuff that's kind of integrated into that. So there's there's interest there for those types of things, and I think. Uh, people have kind of been looking for like a gateway into these kind of what I call super nerdy things <laughs> that uh oh, I was just going to say, you know, people like that stuff, whether they know they do or not. It's, it's half of the reason things like like you mentioned Red Dead Redemption. I mean, even when you're just watching like the the advertisements, the trailers for that game, it's like half of the fun of the game is that they've put so much detail into these incredible landscapes as you're just moving around that world you're in awe the entire time and it's like it inspires that photography side which is exactly the way photographers look at the world around them you're walking around and you're like most people can walk through a field or or wherever they're going photographers don't think they're like oh this this should be framed this way at this time of day with this lighting you know, and I think that game kind of does those those types of games at least do that same thing. So I'm not I'm not terribly surprised that that people would draw that connection. Okay, hang on, hang on, guys. Okay, because I, 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 I gotta I gotta drill down on this. I'm not a gamer, so are you telling me that within the game itself, the graphics are such that people actually take photography as a thing that they do in the game itself? So they're like doing landscape photography within the mm-hmm. game renderings. Yeah, it's uh it's actually kind of astonishing. I have actually mistaken no idea. like uh landscape photography from Red Dead Redemption 2 for actual real life photography. And then I zoomed in, I was like, wait a second, those are pixels from a video game and I can start seeing like this is Red Dead Redemption 2. This is like where like Mount Shan or something like this. It is it is astounding the detail in that game, especially if you like scale it up to like 8K resolution. It's it's we're we're getting to the point in video gaming where uh and within our lifetime it'll be indistinguishable from reality at some point. It's it's insane the progress That's that amazing. they're making. That's a strange thing to hear. Because, you know, I mean I, I grew up with the you know, the Nintendo generation, man. It was like the Super Nintendo to me was like mind boggling. When I saw the graphics the first time on, on Super Nintendo, like the, <laughs> right. know, the old school Mario's I was just so amazed that like when you jumped, the feet moved a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, this is nuts. This is almost indistinguishable from reality. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And you know what's crazy? I, I'm is with like, you, man. I hear you. When, when we were younger, like every every new generation, we we're like, this is better than real life. And just looking back at those games now, it's like, yeah. what was I thinking? Yeah, like, exactly. Well, I was exactly. okay then. That I was just a little bit ahead of my time then when I was... In trying to spend some time with my sons back when World of Warcraft was big, uh, I guess it's been early 2000s, mid 2000s, something like that. Um, I would spend all my time in the character looking around, right? And I'm looking up in the sky and I'm going, hey, you know, this is a pretty good, nice sky. Yeah. So I guess I was a little bit ahead of my time there. Yeah. But how did that? So, so you, you take this leap, right? You're, um, you know, you're going to start just. <laughs> 
without warning, showing your followers the so, night sky and teaching them science. And, you know, they come here to see Animal Crossing, but it's like, surprise, you're going to see the universe instead. Yeah. Um, and, and the initial response was just like, this is amazing. Yeah. So it, it was, it, we kind of segued into it. There's a couple of things that kind of led to it. Um, we, we would have these little bits sometimes during live streams where it would be Professor Tag uh, teaches us like time zones because I just like really basic things and just making a, making kind of like a joke out of it for people who weren't understanding uh, just to make it fun. Um, uh, but one day I was like, you know, what do you guys think about astronomy? Because I was like thinking in the back, of my, I've been researching this for like a month. Of, like, do I want to get into astrophotography? I knew I wanted to, but like, could I get the audience interested in doing this? So that way... I could tell myself that I could spend this eight, 10 hours a night on this without losing any of my potential like income or anything like that. Um, and that the second I said it, I showed one photo and they're like, I didn't even know this was possible. Like there's so many people out there that don't know that you can do this from your backyard and see things that are just truly mind boggling, not only in scale, but in distance and beauty. And um, the second I showed the first photo, they said, if you don't do this, I'm unsubscribing. <laughs> That's what I've seen. So, you know, I've joined one, I think one or two, maybe two, maybe it was just one, one of your streams. And we just talked Astro and people were going nuts over it. Like it was the exact opposite. When you first told me the idea, I was like, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. That's what I was thinking. Like, that's not going to work well, man. They're here to see video games. They don't don't think that's a good idea. But when I came in and saw the response, it's the exact opposite of that. It's like, hey, I came here for this, but look at this bonus. This is amazing. I can't believe I get to see this stuff. And, and that's kind of what I uh, what I what I wanted to do was because astrophotography at its core, if you're not like really into the numbers and how things work and, and the editing process, it's kind of it's a very patient game because it takes hours, months, days to create one image. Um, so I knew I couldn't just do astrophotography for the channel because it's not fast paced enough. It's uh, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into it. But I was like, I wonder while I'm sitting here waiting for these images to come in, if I just play games and then that way I can ease them into this type of content that I want to create. And um, yeah, we spend about 30 minutes. Like I show exactly how to get it set up. I'll let them choose a target in the sky. And like, what do you guys want to see tonight? And then they'll like say, I want to see the elephant's trunk nebula. I zoom in like I, I show the telescope moving to it. We lock on. And then once we get our first image in, we could just go play games until it's done. And uh, It's crazy. It's a phenomenal idea. And it works. Um, you know, it definitely works better than, than I would have assumed it does. And, and you're right. Like, I see the community growing. I, I have a lot of those people now messaging me on Instagram saying, like, hey, I saw this from, uh, from Tag Stream. This stuff is mind-blowing. I can't get it out of my head now. Astronomy is, like, in my head. And it's stuck. I'm like, yeah, you're in our world now. Like this, that never leaves. You're never going to have that out of your mind yeah. now. So welcome. I mean, for, for thousands of years, since probably like the dawn of humanity, we've been obsessed with space. And for our generation, for like, you know, within the past hundred years, like we really haven't been able to see as much of the night sky as, as people previous, you know? And I think now that people can well, get back sure. into it, um, that obsession comes right back. Like we've been obsessed with space and the sky forever, like formed religions around things that we see up there. And um, I don't think that obsession will ever go away. And once people can actually see again, because a lot of these people are in cities, they don't see the night sky like they did before. And um, once they realize that they can do it again, the obsession just comes right back. That's an interesting concept. The, the, the idea that we can't see as much 
as people before us could by just walking outside, we can see a lot more now with the tools we've developed to take over that job. And so we're losing our night skies to light pollution, which is just saying that it like, I know everybody listening to this knows that's a reality and it's so heartbreaking to even say, but it's true. It's true. I mean, uh, and they're not first coming time, back. They're not going to ever get better. Yeah. It's really hard to see a path for, I mean, I don't know. That's a pretty pessimistic statement that they're never coming back. Well, do, but, you, do you think the night skies are, will, will, will get better? That light pollution will go away? I think if people want them to. Um, uh, you well, know, there it's not like there's not a possibility. It's not like there's not a way to do it. It's just that not enough people want to. You know, but if people wanted to, it'd be easy to turn lights off. It's not it's not like it's going away permanently because of some unchangeable circumstance. I mean, we can turn lights off. We just don't. You know, and, and maybe eventually people will. Maybe the interest is moving the right direction and people will. It's hard to imagine a path forward where enough people want to because everybody's so scared. Everybody thinks that turning lights on is what keeps them secure and that they're sacrificing their security if they let you know if they turn the lights off and and i think that's a, a misconception for sure but i think that is the idea and that's one of the limiting factors there i was uh was reading a statistic the other day that within like the next 40 years like like the most areas like 80 percent of the areas that we can actually get to are going to be so polluted with light that you won't really even be able to see the, the you know the night sky in the same way anymore mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we just need that's more what i mean that's this. that's what i'm talking about it's like the the trend isn't to go less light it's it's towards more light and you're you're right about will if we had will to do it then then we would certainly see dark skies again and certainly by accident we'll have them again when you know when power goes out some regions and things like that but uh right. you know the trend isn't the trend isn't to less light it's more light so well, think about this. You're you're both great examples. Each of you individually has reached millions of people that otherwise would not have been thinking about astronomy, right? You you catch people maybe at a casual interest and you give them a path forward to really explore that interest. And so Tony, even though that, that's your statement, let's think about this. Like how many people have you reached that after seeing what it is like the, the science education you're providing, the different videos you've done, they're going to be more aware of it. And a lot of those people are probably less likely to create light pollution problems. They're probably more aware of it and turn their lights off. They probably well, want to see it. I don't think very many. And I'll tell you why, because I just okay. last week's <laughs> last problem. week's Space Junk podcast was about this. And we we I had Kelly Beatty from Sky and Telescope on and we talked about Every time he does a talk at a group of amateur astronomers, he and he's right now it's on the board of the International Dark Sky Association. And he ra- yeah. he says, "How many of you astronomers, amateur astronomers who have a vested interest in this, are members of the Dark Sky Association?" Out of maybe a hundred people, two or three will raise their hands. So the it, there doesn't seem to be a connection between the hobby itself and the fact that they we could do something about the light pollution. Um, so I think that even though I do make videos and I do reach other people, um, with them, I don't think that, that there's a connection made between that and the, and the light pollution that's in I don't that, know if that's a good way. I mean, I don't know if that's a good way to measure it. I, I think you could go to any neighborhood and be like, Hey, how many of you here want your property value to hold or to increase? And everybody raise their hands and you say, okay, well, how many of you actually go to HOA meetings or participate in that anyway? I know like, it's uh, not an God, ideal metric. I, I know it's not, it's not an ideal it metric. No, I, I agree. it's just but, not. Yeah. 
but it but it illustrates what I guess the point I'm trying to make is that amateur astronomers themselves could get more involved in this, and there doesn't seem that they are in many instances. Maybe they, I mean, they could do things to reduce light pollution that it doesn't seem they're engaged enough to do. And that's my only real point. So you're right. It's not a good way to measure it, but it is, you know, something. I mean, there you get is, people there is looking something. up and if they experience light pollution because they want to see something and they can't because of light pollution, they're now aware of it. And I think that, you know, we've, we've each spent a lot of time getting people to look up. And I think the more that happens, the more people be aware of it. I don't know that it'll ever go away. I, you know, I try not to ever be, uh, you know, as Tony's made fun of me for being unyieldingly optimistic about these things, but <laughs> I, um, you know, I believe that we can solve these problems. I just think not enough people yet want to, maybe one day there will be enough people. And, and if we keep on this path, maybe we'll get them there. Well, but you're, anyway, you're definitely a positive Pete. I'll tell you that. And I'm very, <laughs> I'm very happy that I'm very happy that you are. Um, yeah. sure. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know what? You know what will cure it? Here's the thing that cures light pollution. You go on a road trip with somebody and you take them from the city, right, where they live or they say they're in the east or whatever. And you take them on a road trip to Las Vegas and then you stop somewhere on I-15 or something, somewhere out in the middle of the oh, desert there. And done. you just yeah. you just take them and you just just pull over the side of the road and just show them the stars. That's That's Every, exactly every time they you, they will take their breath away that that is exactly what i've done this week i just drove from san antonio to california and along the way we stopped like in deming right along the mexican border and that was that was my first time ever actually being in a border class one zone and seeing the milky way and uh, i'm recording basically a, a vlog about you know traveling here and being able to photograph things that i could never see from where i am and just introducing people to what is there and I actually want to do like a challenge to my community as well, where I do some sort of giveaway and like, you know, open up this light pollution map, find the, the you know, the, the darkest skies you can and go take a photo. And then I'll do a giveaway for people who did who do that or something like that, uh, just to kind of spread awareness that's awesome. that they can do yeah, this great. close. Yeah, it's overwhelming, right? When people think about um, taking a vacation. People think of like destinations and they think of where are we going and, you know, what what entertainment are we going to have when we're there? What are the restaurants? But literally, like just choosing a place in the middle of nowhere should be a vacation destination for people at some point in their lives because too many people have never seen this. And it is absolutely one of the most overwhelming experiences you can have. <laughs> it does. It, it's it's it, it takes their breath away literally i've never fa i've rarely you know failed to see it happen it's just it's a lot of emotions man that you like it's a, it's truly overwhelming and a little bit terrifying the first time <laughs> yeah. you know and you look up and you literally even if you even if you know the constellations you're lost you can't find anything it's just a wall of stars you know it is that's a little well, thank bit scary. god for the deserts man that's all i gotta say because that's one of the few places that's reasonably accessible that you could drive through and get these stunning views still and so thank god yeah. they're, still, they're still there. yeah yeah they're they're still there and um you know there's still a lot of southern hemisphere skies that are still very well protected mm. and and oh, yeah. true you know yeah. good places to go and so i, I well, don't all know the world's man. I observatories that... are being built on the andes right now so it's up in chile and those areas where the best skies are so. yeah so anyway, it, it kind of leads to, you know, you talking about you just taking a trip and seeing it for the first time. Um, it leads me to what, you know, the idea for this podcast actually was, and it's that you took a completely upside down approach to the hobby. 
completely upside down. I mean, everybody kind of gets into visual and then they want to, you know, put their phone up to the eyepiece and then eventually they get a DSLR and they try to connect that instead. Um, you know, and then eventually they, they start to get like a tracking mount for it and all of these things. And then they're into astrophotography. You just started straight at the top of astrophotography, doing the most difficult type, the really like the deep space stuff, and then worked your way back to where you are taking your first Milky Way photos ever now, what, a year later, right? So like, how does that happen? That doesn't happen often. It's, um... I, I definitely, especially after the uh, the talk we had last night with with the Stella community, I, I really realized just how opposite I I went about going this hobby, and um, it's it's actually been really interesting because I've found like more difficult things that I completely skipped out on, like just even basic polar alignment out in a dark sky is really difficult. Um, yeah, just because yeah, it it's hard to even tell where anything is when you're under skies that dark. Um, but I guess what happened is when, whenever I encounter something new, I want to always experience what the most difficult version of that is, like whether it's gaming or anything that I want to learn. I want to learn like basically everything I can possibly learn about it. And when I was looking into it, I was like, what is going to really capture? That's like everybody's seen photos of the Milky Way. Uh, uh, everybody's seen photos of, you know, like like landscape photography or like maybe even wide angle stuff. But like seeing things that traditionally the average person doesn't even know really even exists. Like I've had so many people enter a stream and be like, this is, you can see this from your backyard, like millions and millions of light years away or, you know, thousands if you're doing nebula and stuff like that. And um, just really trying to capture the imagination and the minds of the, the viewers when they're watching and saying, you know, this might not even exist right now. We can't tell because this is millions of years in the past. As you've often said, photographing ghosts, and I think that just capturing their their minds and their imagination at what's actually possible and out there um, was really intriguing to me, and that's what led me to start at the very tail end of this hobby, then starting at the bottom. So, what do you recommend to people when they ask? Then, I mean, most people say start simple. Do you tell them to do that, or do you say do what I did? <laughs> uh, so it's it's very hard to to recommend uh, what I did because I often I'll show like photos of. Um, you know, where you should start because it's it's a very, very expensive hobby. Photography in general is one of the most expensive hobbies that you can get into. And then astrophotography just takes that to a whole other level because you just, you can well, never stop. That's why people don't start like you did, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's one of the main reasons is starting yeah. with the very top equipment. Yeah. I mean, then it is, it is a very expensive hobby. When people start with a $300 mount, that's not, that's not gonna, you know, they're not having to take out a second mortgage to go out in their backyard and play. And so so a lot of that is is why I'm 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 retracing what I'm doing and I'm trying to get to a more basic version of what I want to do as far as content creation to show like this is where you can get to but then this is how you can get yourself addicted to it. Like, you know, if you have a camera, that's why I'm going to challenge people. If you have a camera, go to a dark site and just take a photo and then just get them engaging in that and you know, motivating people to do something is always the most difficult part. Um but if you can teach them exactly how to do it and uh, and get them to do it once, I think people are going to continuously just get a, just get addicted and want to do it more. And especially just connecting with, you know, our ancestors at looking at the sky, like nobody really gets to do that anymore. Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack in even that last statement. But you said that um, motivating people to do something, I, I mean, referring to this, 
why do why do you two think that is? Why why would motivating to people to do something that inherently clearly all humans are interested in? Why would that be difficult to do? Why do you think that is? Are you are you asking me? Yeah, I want to hear what oh, okay. you think about yeah, that. I mean, well, because I agree, it is the hardest part is getting people to the point where they're willing to do it. So why do you think that is? Well, I I don't know. I think part of it is is if I'm being honest, is streaming. I'm guilty myself of of sitting there and going, you know, I've got this great telescope. I should go out and observe and connect with the night sky, or I could go watch Econ Greg, you know, and 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 do the same thing, right? So, you know, I'm guilty of doing. I blaming Greg. So yeah, blaming <laughs> I'm not blaming. Greg. I'm, I'm going blaming to let him Greg. know. I'm blaming you, man, for taking me out of the night sky. Thanks. No, really. Thanks, man. I miss the night sky, but you no, I'm just saying sometimes it's easier, right? Um, that's part of it. Another part is that, you know, we there's this sort of I don't want to call it a fear. It's not that. It's just this reluctance to to take a leap, right? If I you know, if I'm watching tag back um to do a uh, uh, image processing on some what looks to be some pretty incredible software and he's right. got this equipment that you know i don't have um that can be intimidating so you know i i could see easily people just like i just gonna sit and enjoy what he's doing what tag's doing so i can i can uh you know live it vicariously that way that's yeah. part of it i think yeah no i i fully agree with that and uh that's kind of why i'm trying to do something a lot more basic like tonight when if me and dustin actually go and photograph some milky way stuff tonight i picked up i just picked up a little tripod to put my phone on there and see can i get a good shot of the milky way with my phone like how easy and how basic can i get this to be mm. uh to get people to really see because I, I definitely started on the very far spectrum um but i want to get to the point to where you know just pick up your camera and, and do it or even if you're taking a road trip somewhere because a lot of people travel all over the place you can't even see the night sky from your car because your eyes are adjusted to the headlights and you might not even notice what's right above you. And um, I didn't like I was looking out the window. I was like, we're in a Bortle class one, but I don't see anything. And then we stopped and I stepped out. and just sat there like, God, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's my that's my yeah. absolute favorite thing to do, man. I just love doing that. It's simple. It doesn't cost a dime. And it's so emotional. Um what what kind of equipment do you have, man? What what do you what did you said oh. you bought the high end stuff? What did you? Oh God, um, so I've I've got a couple of really exciting things coming in that I haven't gotten to use yet. Um, but so I started off with an EQR six uh, EQ six R Pro from Skywatcher, and I paired that with a Skywatcher one hundred, and I quickly realized that I wanted to go bigger really fast. Um, so that was that was my starting off point, and I I photographed the I had a crop sensor image uh, sensor on there from um, Starlight Express. Yeah, it and was I a was 694, able to... right? It was a yeah, CCD, yeah. not yeah, okay. Yeah, the H694, and that was enough with the hundred millimeters to actually get a cropped in photo of the horse or of the uh, elephant's trunk nebula. And the second I got that in, I was just like, "Yeah, I'm addicted." It didn't look good, but to me, it was like it was like treasure in my hands. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then uh, I showed that picture to my to my community like five minutes after. It's just basically just dots of pixels that are green, red, and blue because I didn't know how to process at the time. Um, and then I, I did a stream. I was like, look at this telescope. Like I could really reach out and touch things with the Skywatcher 150 or the uh, I just got a plane wave 12.5 inch that's coming in, which is going to get me to 2,500. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I upgraded to the 150 
uh, from Skywatcher, and then uh, the ZWO 6200 uh, mono, which really 62 just... 62 megapixel CMOS camera. That camera is absurd. Um, but yeah, when I was so when good. I was telling people about upgrading, they're like, go big or go home, <laughs> loser. Like, you're going to get this. <laughs> like, get this now or we'll riot. Like, I want to see, like, the farthest objects that you can do from your backyard. And um, I, I, I still thank them, like, every day. Like, thank you guys for pushing me to get into astrophotography because I was nervous about it. Like, you know, can I, can I make yeah. this content? Can I do these streams? And just every time they're like, when are you doing the next Astro stream? Like, get a bigger telescope. When are you going to, like, buy something in Chile or something like that? Um, yeah, well, you have a, a 16803 S-Big camera, too. Mm -hmm. But that's going to go on the plane wave. Right? Yeah, that's going go to go on the plane wave, yeah. yeah. Yep, so I've got it sitting there just looking at me every day, like, like put, use me. It's such a big camera. Thing's huge. Size of a bowling ball, you know? It's, it's huge. It's, um, and, and you do. You're right. Like, you have an amazing community. They are the most supportive uh, group of people ever. When you talk about doing this stuff, yeah, they really are. It's all, it always is that. Go big or go home. Yeah. You know? It's like, well, looks like we're doing the, the big plane wave today. Then. Yeah. You know? I did that's a, how this I, stuff happens. I did a poll as a joke. Like, should I sell my car and buy a giant telescope? And they were... Uh, it was either yes or you have a problem, but at least it's not crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, uh, yes. it, it's been a, I'm glad that it's been a good thing for you in that, you know, you, you took the path you did because it's been fun to, to witness and you don't see it too often as, as you know, you just mentioned, we did that talk with Stella yesterday, which um, was really amazing. Um, we are still a stream. I watched Instagram. half of it. That was really good. Yeah, I love that those groups exist, especially that one, um, you know, for women in astronomy and and just hosting them yesterday. It was the, the coolest thing. And you can see every bit of this hobby moving the right direction. But as you saw, everybody told their stories last night and none of them were with the exception of one. With the exception of one in Ireland. Yeah. Right. Sacred Black Astronomy, who started actually a little bit for started as a telescope operator in an observatory and then worked her way backwards. Um, but, you know, you don't hear that story very often. Everybody starts the opposite way. I mean, even with just binoculars, which I can't tell you how many people myself I've recommended start simple, start small. Make sure that you like the process. Make sure you like being out um, outside and doing this hobby, you know, before you you buy a yeah. plane wave. But we say that because we're not sure they're not, we're not sure that they're sure that they're going to like it, right? I mean, you know, in in tax case, he he knew, right? He was like, I'm doing this, right? So you know, we often give that advice. At least I do. I give that advice in that way because it's like sort of a tentative approach, right? Well, if you think you might want to do this, then maybe try with something modest, and if that, that's good to you then work your way up that's why i give that advice that way anyway i do it for complexity reasons i think that it's easy to start simple it, it like you want to promote success you want these people right. that are getting into it to be successful and if you jump straight into an observatory there's a lot that can go wrong that's yeah. the reason i do it <laughs> that could be overwhelming you know? for sure yeah I, I have no doubt that people that get into it i mean how many people do you meet they're like oh i really got into astronomy and just hated it yeah. like never i don't think that's anybody never that's been gonna... said that can pick, that's going to pick up a, a camera and photograph space like that is going to be like, oh, this sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this I'm is over terrible. <laughs> Boring. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen that. So it's not that. I just think that it's hard to, I mean, even just PixInsight for processing, that's a that's a big thing to uh, to tackle 
And so, you know, I just try to get people to take steps so that each step is successful so that they're, you know, they're, they're proud of their pictures and they're proud of, you know, their progress instead of just tinkering and trying to figure out the equipment all the time. Yeah. Go ahead. I thought Tony was about to say something. I thought Tony was about to say something. I was, well, that's because he does I that. Wasn't he takes sure this huge breath and then says nothing. I wanted to. <laughs> I, w- I wasn't <laughs> sure I wanted to bring this up, but it hit me when you guys were talking about Pixinsight. site. I spent my career working in a in a software package called IDL, and it got me to think of because tag bought all this stuff he's getting a plane wave for god's sakes so that you know money is is, is you know it, and complexity isn't scary why don't people use idl now for those of you who don't know idl stands for interactive data language and it's used by professionals to process images but it's expensive a a license for that software is on the order of thousands of dollars and but here's the thing you can do with it you can load an image into an array you could load a second image into an array, and you could say image three equals image one minus image two, and you've made a subtraction. That's all you have to do. And you could really tweak this stuff much easier than what, what I've seen people do with PixInsight. And so I got to thinking, gosh, should I say that out loud? Because it's, it's, it's an expensive piece of software, but professional astronomers use it as a crutch because they can't really write their papers without the array operations that are there in IDL. And so that's what I was thinking. And the more I say it, I don't know what PixInsight costs. Is it, is it free or does it, does it cost money? 250 something dollars. Okay. I think. So yeah. we're orders of magnitude different yeah. as far as price goes, but that's what, and you it's know, one I got of the more to... expensive software packages too. For, is it, for okay. So even, yeah, for so, pretty pictures, that's like, that might be the most expensive. Okay, but if you're willing to spend all this money on hardware, then, you know, for a not insignificant investment in software, you could get some pretty killer power. And I often wonder why, when I'm seeing where amateurs are going with their stuff now, and amateurs are basically just starting off at the pro level, um, why aren't, you know, why, why isn't the software keeping track? I mean, Photoshop is great, uh, but, you know, it's there, there's stuff out there that's been ex- in existence for a long time that's amazing. So I don't know. That's what I does that work? I mean, because your your experience with it in the use for all of your professional observatory work was for science. And I understand that software, you know, it would be perfect for that application. But would it have would it be effective for pretty pictures? Yeah, Um, the so the Hubble, um, the Hubble team, uh, they had this thing called uh, um, uh, Hubble Heritage and the Hubble Heritage group at, at the Institute is the group that's responsible for those in those every the, the anniversary pictures that come out from Hubble each year, the oh, calendar yeah. photos, amazing. the the people that do all the uh, uh, desktop backgrounds, all of that stuff, murals they make murals best images in the world. Yeah. yeah, they use uh, software like that, and they also use Fitz Liberator and a few other things. But um, I had I had um, uh, Zolt Levey, who was on the team before I retired, on a hangout many, many years ago, and he stepped us through how he made those uh, those uh, Hubble Heritage images using uh, all of these things. And part of it was subprocessing with IDL. So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of professional. That's the only one, by the way, I should mention that costs a lot of money. Um, everything else, like AstroPy, that's the Python version of uh, for astro processing. That's free. Um, you can just download that and start using it. But you got to know Python to be able to do it. So maybe maybe that's the barrier. I don't know. 
Um, but I was just well with learning. both. If you have to learn to code and it's a few thousand dollars, yeah. those are a couple couple hurdles. Right, that would, right. Would keep people out, right? The coding, but the part, array certainly. operations are really what make it worth its money. You could take arrays and build and just using simple arithmetic operators, and it's actually quite complicated. Um, but again, you could do that with PixInsight. You know, you could just do the yeah, subtraction. or even even a newer one, uh, Astro Pixel Processor. I see a lot of people using that. You know, it'll take in fifty images and just make like the the cleanest mosaics ever. It's really pretty amazing, yeah. um, but. Yeah, and I think the software is getting better and better because a lot of it's open source. And so they're not dependent on a couple of people trying to do all of the heavy lifting to get these different features out. But they just open it up to people and say, hey, um, what would you like to see in here? Go ahead and put it in. You know how to code? Like, put this in here and share it with everyone. And that stuff works. Now you got a lot of freeware that's powerful, extremely right. powerful. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I paid 200 and however many dollars it was for uh, for Pix Insight, but almost all of the processes that I use in there are free add-ons that people made for it. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, well uh, you, you do that, though, and you, show, you even show your followers. So you and I have very different ways of processing images. Um, you know, and then Tony, of course, has a very different way, too, which was he would look at everything we're doing as disgusting and damaging the data. <laughs> and right. offensive yeah. right but but on our side when we are damaging and destroying the data and trying to make it look a certain way um you you have a lot more that goes into your process you're back and forth between multiple programs you know you're doing um you, you've kind of formed like your own little path that you navigate through each image and then once it's done you go back and do it again and i know this because you send me the images and then the image changes the next day and it changes drastically. Like you, you really tweak things and you show your followers that. So I should say anybody listening that wants to see a really detailed image process, um, you know, that's something that you share and you're very open about exactly how you come to your images. And, and that one that you did of Orion was absolutely incredible. Um, and I know there was a lot that went into it, but you know, man, watching it, it's kind of like, wow, this is, this is something that really you have to spend a lot of time to come up with. I mean, my image processing is like seven minutes you know, from start to finish, the longest part loading the files because they're big, you know? Uh, so like, how did, how did you do that? And why do you just give that away to everybody for free? Well, uh, kind of similar to what we just discussed, like the, the barrier to entry is large on, uh, in astrophotography. And Everybody wants to keep everything a secret, and that's a big reason why I think that a lot of people don't get into it. Because, yeah, you can tell anybody, hey, just take the equipment you have and go out and take a photo. But then they try and go and actually process this to make it look like what the professionals are doing or even just the you know amateurs. And it's, it's like they're two completely different things, and you try and figure out how it is. And you get one little snippet of information here because that person doesn't want to give their full process away. And then you get a little snippet over here. And it's just this overwhelming amount of information that you need to learn to make an image actually look really, really professional. When in reality, it's not that difficult. And if you just if somebody's willing to just show the process, then you could have thousands of people doing the exact same thing, which is also why people don't want to do that. Because it's going to get harder to be an iPod <laughs> or something like that. But uh, um. I just I, I want to get people into it. So if that means me not making money by selling how I do my processing and to get thousands of people into this, then that's what I'm going to do. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I look, I really respect that. I think that's awesome. So you answered before that you don't tell people to do what you did because I agree. I think that's too much to ask for people to get into a hobby for the first time. Um, granted, even if you know they're going to love it and it's something that ultimately they're probably going to spend a lot of time doing anyway, um, and maybe you could skip a few steps if they just went in there, I still think it's a lot to ask. If you're not telling them to do that, what are you telling people to do specifically? Because I know you get asked this on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. And so so more often than not, because I want I want to get people to just, just go out and do it. So like say they have a camera already, pretty much you can get into some really, really basic astrophotography that's uh, won't be on the same level as what I'm doing on a stream. But, you know, if you have a camera at home and you have a lens, especially if you if you have a wide angle lens and you have a telephoto lens, you have everything you need to at least start looking at the sky a little bit. If you have a wide angle lens, you know, uh, just go out and try and take some photos of Nebula or even if you can get a. So what I often most recommend is if you have a camera already, then get uh, a star tracker. Uh, whether it be Skywatcher or I think it's Ioptron is the other one. Yeah, yeah, um, it's a popular one. Um, the Sky Guider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a Sky Guider. If you have a camera already, you're halfway there. And uh, a Sky Guider will get you to that next level of astrophotography other than just a tripod right off the bat. Um, and, they're, and they're relatively easy to to use. I just learned how to use one over the course of like two hours the past two nights. Um, so simple, right? Yeah. It's yeah, just uh, look through the polar know, scope, point it at Polaris and go. Yeah, you can, it even gets so simple as long as you know north, um, just point it at north, and then you can start there. Your stars might not be perfectly tracked, but then you can learn how to properly polar align from there. Or you can get and if you're like wide enough, they still will be perfect. Yeah, that's the yeah. beauty of of shooting Milky Way stuff is it's so wide it hides all the errors. Yeah. So my my number one recommendation is that if you have a camera, then upgrade to a star tracker, and then if you like that and you see yourself actually going out every night, or maybe not every night, but every once in a while. Uh, then upgrade to to a, a slightly larger telescope that you can put onto that tracker or upgrade to like a 400 millimeter focal length like lens or something like that uh, that you can get for cheap because the Rokinon makes really cheap uh, lenses that have amazing glass in them uh, but their their downside for typical photography is their focusing is just terrible uh, but for astrophotography you're not you're manually focusing anyway so you have this really nice glass and a cheap lens that you can use for astrophotography and put it onto any camera you have already Oh, that's good yeah. advice. I like that. Yeah, and they're super wide. They're like 12 millimeters. Yeah, you can get 12 millimeters. They go up. They have a really nice 200 millimeter focal length one that you can put on there too. And since you're manually focusing it anyways, it's not going to be as accurate as having like, a, you know, uh, an optech focuser or something like that. You'll have stars with circles and stuff a little bit, but it's going to look really good for cheap. Yeah. So what... Um... What what's next? What are you going to do for your community, and and what's the plan going forward? Are you just going to keep adding to the equipment? You're going to show them different types. You're going to do lunar. I mean, I, I don't see you doing a lot of planetary stuff. Yeah. So um, lunar, uh, I was getting into. Uh, <laughs> so many plans. Uh, honestly, like what we've been discussing, uh, just traveling more and getting out there and and actually seeing these dark skies and and going to the more basics of astrophotography and and uh, getting people into it and progressing into this hobby. Uh, so I, I almost, I was actually at Best Buy now looking for like a Canon T2i that I could just, you know, this is like 200 or 300 bucks and this is what I'm going to do with it. And I'll do, I'll start off with Milky Way and I'm going to make a series of videos starting from like the very basics and then upgrade each time and show the proper path that somebody might take to, to, to get into this, you know, what they might already have at home from lying around or something. But that's kind of the plan. And, 
and just doing more vlog types. And I just want to get people to fall in love with it. Are you going to do more promotion to get not just video game people, but actual astronomers to your stream? And like, will they know what nights you're going to be doing specifically astronomy? So if they want to come see that, is it easy for them to find out if they go to YouTube and look at Tagback TV? Yeah, so I usually, if I have clear skies, I'll schedule it in the morning and be like, you know, this is, we're going to supposedly have clear skies tonight. That's the hard part about astronomy is like, I could do it every Thursday or every Tuesday or something like that, but the clouds might not cooperate with that, which is, which has made it a little bit more difficult uh, to get people there all the time for uh, for it. But um, I, I do plan on making an actual secondary channel that's just dedicated to teaching people how to do astronomy or making vlog videos and stuff like that uh, to get people. Yeah, I think into that's it. powerful. Imagine being out in the field. Like if you could do this from the field, and I know you have plans to, but doing this from the field where you're going to specifically show people how to do Milky Way photography. Because when when you're doing deep space photography, like you said, you know, the minimum time requirements generally hours with most mm-hmm. most telescopes, unless you have something super fast like a Rasa. Um, and if you're going to, you know, doing that, you've got to have video games or other things to fill in the time. And it's a long time to sit there and watch the camera countdown. But Milky Way, in between every exposure, and the exposures are going to look processed out of the back of the camera, you're what, 20 seconds in yeah. at max, like two minutes. Yeah, it was That'd actually be amazing. People could learn. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day because I, I, I want to find a way that I can hook up my camera directly to the laptop and then I can actually live stream doing Milky Way photography. And that's just, you know, if you're doing 30, even 30 second exposures on a Bortle class one, you have this beautiful image. Um, yeah. And just, just literally just figuring out a way to carry it with me as I'm going. Uh, wherever I am and just even letting them set well it's, it's hard to let somebody set up a frame because it's so dark because you can't see it I need like a night vision scope or something like that but uh yeah yeah um yeah a lot how, of much, how much light stuff. pollution are you dealing with you know on your 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 normal streams Portal what are you dealing with there eight. in Texas yep it was a seven but we're it's building up so fast around us that we're probably an eight an eight right now Ooh, that's that's what is it there in Florida Tony I'm I'm five and six i mean it you know uh the winter the winter months are better um just because the the moisture content's not as high but uh yeah about five or six where i live anyway bortle eight yeah that's tough so the only star you're seeing is the sun (laughs) (laughs) tony's got this cough can't make him laugh right now you break him i'm trying really hard not to laugh because i don't want to start coughing but uh yeah so well okay so i got a question for you um I, I've been talking to so many people lately who have been saying that, yeah, I've been, you ask them how long they've been taking images of the night sky. How long you've been imaging this about a year or so I've been doing this about a year. And then, you know, a year into it, they're, they're, they're amazing, right? Their, their skills are, and their results are, are astonishingly great. And my question to you is in the course of this, you said you started about a year ago or roughly around June of last year. And, um, what what was your biggest obstacle what was the thing that you had to work the hardest to overcome i think uh there's there's two obstacles that are pretty tight uh, so the first one is figuring out how to build out a proper telescope from like especially when when you're talking about getting into it if you want to get into it at photographing deep space stuff there are so many obstacles that like you, know, you get the telescope, you get the camera, and you get the mount, but then you have spacing, and you have to figure out the back focus, and you have then you have to make sure that everything actually works together. 
Um, and then so I got all of this stuff finally and I set it up outside and I take off the, the cover of the telescope and I'm like, I click a photo and I'm like, are those stars? I could have swore they should have been bigger. <laughs> uh, but it's literally just the noise from the from the camera. Oh, you're looking at the the dark noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so then I had to figure out that you needed to download Ascom drivers to get your stuff to work with the software that you had purchased to use with it, and because um, that's not always something that's that's blatantly obvious either. So not only do you have like all these little bits and pieces that go in between your telescope and your camera and making sure that everything communicates with itself. Then you need to download an additional program on top of the one that you already downloaded to actually get it all to work. And it's just, it's kind of a nightmare how everything is just always so separated rather than just like any other hobby that you would pick up. You just go to the site or, or a store and you get everything all at once. Um, yeah. I think that's the, yeah. So you tried to do it yourself before you, uh, you were talking to Jake, Right. Because I, I remember Jake, uh, he came into my office and he was like, Hey, you know, I got this really cool guy. He's, um, he's going to be building out, you know, quite a, quite a system here, but he's got, he's got some complexity he's looking to build in. This is, this is going to be a fun one, you know? And I know that you two went to work together and he, he loves it, man. He, I know he loves working on that stuff and you guys have become pretty close through all of that. But, um, yeah, he, uh, he was saying at the beginning that you were, you were serious from the day you called, um, and he, you know, he was like, "Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a project right here." Yeah, I, I think if it, if if I wasn't the type of person to to really be get addicted to something, because the, the learning process for me is something that I really really enjoy, uh, but I think that's 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 a major issue for a lot of people is because there's just so much to learn. It's like drinking water from a fire hose sometimes when you're trying to to learn all this stuff. And um, if there was just like one resource that you could go to and you could learn all of this really easily, I think it would help out exponentially. Because right now you have to go to like 50 different sites to maybe learn one thing that you need to know. Um, yeah. Whether it's software or backspacing or or whatever it is, it's just the information is just so spread out. Yeah, you know, it's actually something that we've had our team. We have a we have what we call OPT University, and it's something that we've had our team working on is is building out those resources for exactly that reason. Because the same thing you're dealing with is exactly what I dealt with when I got into the hobby, which is like, it's fine if you want to just get like a a normal system. And I'll say a normal system. I mean things that are made to work out of the box to do a specific function. But if you're looking for these more complex things where you're trying to piece things together. You really have to, you really, especially in this hobby, you have to make sure that all the pieces will work together because manufacturers don't necessarily um, make things to a certain standard. They they just kind of make it to whatever their own standard is and they, they don't communicate with each other on, hey, will this work with your part? And that's kind of what, you know, my team spends a lot of their time doing is making sure that systems people are trying to put together as components end up working together and if not finding the pieces in the middle that will make them work together because otherwise you can end up with a paperweight i love the tip that salvatore gave us when we were the guy from astroband who was uh when he was building a site and he wanted to know specific information about specific pieces of right. cameras and stuff he said what he found most helpful was doing google searches in forums where everybody put in their signature their equipment and then once he found out those like if he was looking about a specific camera, then, then the user might put it in there. And he found that if he just followed those people, he could get the information he wanted for whatever it was he was putting together 
data for. I thought that was an interesting uh, little tip, but you're both right that this stuff needs to be, I think, um, a little bit more, I don't want to say put together in one spot, but at least coherently uh, organized in some way that makes it a little easier. To well, find. that's, so that's what University. we're doing. Um, we, we realized that it wasn't you know, it wasn't happening. There wasn't like a standard. And so with OPT University, if you go to the OPT website, optcorp.com, and you click on the OPT University tab, it's exactly what you'll find. You'll find links to like, it's how you learn. So it's, do you learn by audio? Space Drunk Podcast, check it out. There's a lot of, and here are the ones where you can actually learn something that aren't just like hangouts. Um, And then the other way is like video. You see all the OPT uh, tutorials, the video tutorials for, hey, here's how you do polar alignment. Here's how you balance a mount, right? Because that stuff, there needs to be a place where it's like, I can solve my problem by going to this place. And that's what the OPT University tab is. And we're just, we have an entire team just like dedicated to chipping away at that and trying to get all of that information in one place because you're right. Like it can be the thing that keeps people from the hobby, if you can't figure out how to make your stuff work, you can't have fun. And, um, you know, it, it has to be easily accessible. You shouldn't have to go search 10 forums to find answers to changing I, I was, products. I was doing the same thing. Like, uh, I was, I was looking through forums, like, like as cloudy nights or something like that. And I wasn't getting any information that I needed. And I was just, I, I the taglines with people's like setups. I was like, okay, this is, this is helping. Then you, then you go look at photos they've posted and it's like, well, that's yep. kind of <laughs> what I want to get. So I guess I'll look into this stuff that they've got there. <laughs> that's what he would do. If he was looking to buy a camera, for example, he would try and find those cameras in the bylines of people posting in forums and look at their images and go, okay, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I might look at this camera a little bit more. It's it's so, kind of crazy that like the most, like one of the most expensive and difficult hobbies you can get into, <laughs> that's how you have to figure out the information for it. I mean, it's really, I, I didn't like that either when, when I started trying to do it with piecing, because you have to piece different components together. Like, you know, you got a plane wave telescope, but there's not a plane wave camera. So you're going to have to get a different camera and it's not going to just bolt onto the plane wave without some kind of adapter. Right. And that's, that's, that's the problem at its core. Um, but that's really one of the things with, when we started making telescopes for Radian, that was a big part of the focus is how do we go ahead and solve back focus so that no one ever has to know what that word means. The fact that our customers know what that word means, means that we failed as an industry. Right. And so that's why it already comes as a standard for any DSLR or any T ring for a DSLR and mirrorless camera or what comes in the box with like ZWO. It, you put it on there and you go and you don't realize that you ever needed to know anything. And that's how it should be. So all of the radiant scopes, that kind of stuff happens, but it's not uh it's not a standardized industry in that way. And so you have to really be careful and make sure that if you're you're buying products that don't have those things already built out that you know, you do exactly what you're talking about. Cause if you're off by more than a couple millimeters, it's going to show in your images. Yeah. Well, you're building a really good resource, I think, to alleviate some of that, those knowledge gaps, and those uh, information gaps. So it's, I couldn't agree more that that's needed. So I'm, I'm happy you're doing that too, Dustin. We have a great team, man. They're, they're fun. Did you see the, um, the April fool's video they just did? I on didn't the, know. They, they did a video on a, um, it's called the Icarus filter. That's a light pollution filter. So strong. You can image during midday and uh and then it also has a cloud filter built in and they 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 did the video so well man the icarus filter you need to go watch it it's i'll go check it out yeah i didn't know i didn't i didn't see it they got like trevor jones involved and galactic hunter and a bunch of people but it's it's hilarious man and it looks like it's a real product 
even at the end, it's just like, go to this page to check it out, you know, and you get there and it's like April fools. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, yeah, no. but yeah, it's funny, man. Okay. Um, before, with the few minutes that we have left, I just, I want to, I don't get to talk to a lot of, uh, super high profile streamers. So I wanted to ask you a streamer question if I could, in your experience, because you do a lot of gaming streaming and I watch some gaming streaming, not as much as some, but I do watch it periodically. And my own son is even considering becoming a gaming streamer on Twitch. Um, do you find that that enhances the game experience for the people watching your streams? And this would go also into the amateur astronomy part of the stream as well. Or is it enough for them to just watch you stream it and not really get involved in the game at all? Do you understand my question? Oh, yeah, no, Absolutely. I, I, I wonder if what you're doing and the way you're presenting it, does it enhance their enjoyment and make them want to go out and do it? Or is it enough to just watch you play? Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about, because uh, I actually started off as a content creator first, and then I kind of delved into streaming uh, to kind of connect with the community that I had built over time. Because, uh, you know, it gets you, you can only talk to yourself in a closed room for so long before you start slowly losing your mind. Exactly. Um, no. <laughs> um, so what I do is I, I kind of created this hybridization because I didn't want to just stream. I still I still wanted to add value to what I was doing. Um, so I kind of do this hybridization stuff where I'll do tutorials on things that I've learned how to do while I'm streaming. So I add value to it, not only uh, for those that come watch every day, but that are looking to maybe enhance what they're doing. Um, and also the the communication aspect. I, I talk to my community throughout the whole thing. Uh, and I find that's a really great way to figure out what they're looking for, for whether it's content or tips and tricks about the game. Um, so like, you know, I'll ask, you know, what are you guys having most trouble with with this game when I play something new? And they'll say like making money or, uh, you know, finding this item or something like that. And then I'll take that and I'll create videos on it. And so then those videos will bring people in and say like, you know, these are great tips and they'll come to the streams looking for that additional type of content that they might be struggling to find in their own game. Okay, because it's gotten so big. I mean, you know, online streaming and and esports and all of this, it's gotten so huge. I just wonder how much of it is the experience of watching the streamer and how much it is getting confidence and knowledge for yourself to go and play these games. And uh, so that's good. And, and so that would also, I think, play out in amateur astronomy, right? Where you're streaming about this, your equipment, your processing techniques, and then you know, they're not just like I sometimes do with Econ Craig. They're they they're not just doing it vicariously through you. They're actually learning and and going out and trying it themselves. Yeah, I I think it definitely depends on the type of content. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there that is just solely for, like you know, when we sit down and watch a football game or something like that. You're just enjoying, uh, whether it is living vicariously through them or just it's something you enjoy watching. Whether it's the competition of it or. Uh, the comedic value that it provides or something like that. There's always something for each individual and also that the content creator provides. Maybe it's being extremely good at this game and you live vicariously through how good they are at it or the value that they bring or comedic effect. There's, there's so many different things, but I think um, depending on the, the type of content you make, that there's always going to be there that somebody that wants to consume and learn from you as well. Um, there is definitely something mesmerizing about watching someone who is good at what they do do that thing right i mean you just it's just i don't care what it is it's just we've seen it in so many yeah, different true. kinds of streams you know so okay well that's good does it anything else no 
no, this is fun. And actually, uh, we're going to be doing some Milky Way photography tonight. So, no. Are you going to be streaming? Uh, no, we're going to be in the middle of nowhere. So I don't think it's streaming. <laughs> okay. At 3 a.m. Wake up, everybody, yeah. at 3 a.m. Yeah, wake up. It's time, to, it's time to do some Milky Way images. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah, that the images will it. follow. <laughs> November, I'll stream it, though. I'll have to come out in November and we'll do that. Because the November, we should have the uh, Milky Way up uh at nighttime like like seven eight o'clock at night which is a lot easier to stream rather than 3 a.m yeah absolutely. <laughs> all right okay well tag back tv aka sean thank you so much for taking time out to be with us and on behalf of dustin gibson i'm tony darnell thank you so much for watching and listening and as always keep looking up Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com. <laughs>